these guys didn't have to do this. This is um, them opening up um, for you guys, kind of being vulnerable, being honest about um, things in their relationships, things in their marriage. So we're really excited to hear um, from their you know, perspective and the different experiences that they have. Um, so first, let's just do really quick. I just want you guys to tell us, like, you know, uh, how long you've been married. And uh, quickly, one sentence, how did you meet? Like, one sentence. I wasn't supposed to ask this, but I'm going to ask it. Oh, there we go. Am I there? Okay, cool. Uh, Julie and I have been married 25 point something years. And what else did you want? And Just where did you meet? Oh, we we met pretty much here in Central Texas. You'll hear a little bit about that. That's quick. That's good. Figured. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. So we're celebrating 25 years this summer, and we dated seven years before marriage. So it's been a long journey. Wow. Okay. Uh, we've been married for 22 years, and actually met in middle school. Middle school. Okay. So now let's get some details. Like, let's hear how how'd you guys really meet. Like, tell us a story about like how did. You guys become Mark and Julie Mahler. Okay, so th- our little story. Julie and I both grew up here. Uh, I grew up down the road. Anybody know where Heidenhammer is? Yeah, anybody from Heidenhammer? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not many people are from Heidenhammer. So anyway, I grew up there. Went to school at Academy, Stingham Bees. Who's a bee in here? Put your, put your pinky up. There you go. All right. So I went to Academy, um, then I I transferred to Belton, actually, my junior year, for all you Tigers, Tigers, we don't, do we have a hand sign? We, I don't think we, we need a hand sign. Belton needs a hand sign. Okay, so, and, and, and actually, when I transferred over to Belton my junior year, God was a force in my life, actually, because when I, I was fortunate enough, by God's grace, to have received some teaching that made it real to me and uh, and it helped me overcome some fears and insecurities so God was actually working in my life thankfully kind of early on um but I still liked girls so (laughs) and because of that I locked on when I went to Belton I locked on to this blonde in the commons area um at, at Belton High School but the problem is she was in a relationship, and so I kind of had to, yeah, I kind of had to wait it out a little bit. And so when that kind of went away, uh, seized on the opportunity, and um, so basically, what I guess our first date was actually at a Christian concert in Waco. Um, for all you old folks, the Imperials. Does anybody know about the Imperials? No, nobody. <laughs> So we went to a Christian concert at Waco Hall, and that was our very first date. All right. So you heard me say we dated for seven years. So I was actually 14 when I met him for the first time. And we're kind of going against a lot of the things they said last week when they were talking about don't date in high school. um, But just a quick little disclaimer about that. Every story is different, and God, if you're listening to God, you'll do it God's way. So I was 14 when I met him. He was the new kid at our school. I was going into my sophomore year. He was the new kid as a senior. And um, it was a small school, so any new kid was a big deal. And I was one of the girls swooning over the new senior. Um, But he didn't really notice me until after he graduated, went off to Duke for college his freshman year, came back. His college got out earlier than we got out, so he was back in May and was playing basketball after school with all the guys. And so now this was the end of my junior year, and I guess he noticed, hey, you were a girl back a sophomore last year. And so he asked me to go to the movies that night, and we went and saw Brewster's Million, just about as good as the Imperials, I think, as a first date. (laughs) Dumb movie, but that's what was playing. And then we went to Dairy Queen, and... (laughs) It's not one that we watch every year to remember that day, but it was a great first day. But so, yeah, that was um, the end of my junior year. And so during my senior year, he was away at college. And when he'd come back to visit, we would do stuff together. And then um, we, I decided to go to a different college. So we went to two different colleges, but continued dating kind of long distance and so you'd see each other in the same hometown, which I kind of recommend that too, doing your own thing and not fo- not getting totally wrapped up in the dating relationship, but still keeping that strong. So, Chateaus. 
So, like Jason said, we met in middle school, um, seventh grade, I think, yes. Uh, we had mutual friends, um, and they were best friends of ours, and they started dating in seventh grade. And we stayed friends all through middle school and all through high school, and they ended up getting married after high school. And so Jason and I were in the wedding party, their wedding party, and so whenever they had their wedding, we met back up, and then we started dating. So. Did you catch the bouquet? Did that how that worked? Sorry. Did you catch no, the bouquet at the wedding? I didn't wedding? catch the bouquet. But so that didn't matter. It's didn't not matter. Anything. Really? No. No. Okay. You learned something new. So I got to check out our podcast. All right. Second question for you guys. Um, let's hear about kind of a funny story in your years of marriage. Tell me kind of like a funny or embarrassing moment that happened in, even when you guys maybe were dating or were married. Okay, well, Mahler, weren't you Mr. and Mrs. BHS together? No, because he was a senior and I was a sophomore when we started dating. Gotcha. So this is, I mean, my life is just funny all the time with him. I'm always getting embarrassed. So my story is really more about him sort of being embarrassed. What most of you don't know is that he was the place kicker at Baylor when he was there. So that was really super fun, and I got to sit with his parents in the family section. And one of the games, I noticed there was something on his but, you know, he had on these white football pants. He'd go out there and kick, and he looked so cute. But there was just something on his butt, and I couldn't figure out what it was. And so I just let it go, you know. Why did you notice that? I don't know. <laughs> okay, so anyway. Were you guys married when you noticed that? No. Oh. <laughs> so anyway, we get to the end of the game, and we get to see each other afterwards. And I was like, what is this thing on your butt? Oh, it's your butt. There was a hole the size of a silver dollar in his football pants. And it was on national television. And he was kicking, and there was a hole. (laughs) But this was before people watched the Baylor games, right? This is before? Was Was this during Taft? Okay, okay. okay. We were winning bowl games. Man. Wow. All right. What about you guys? Okay. Can you hear me okay? I guess you can hear me fine. I have to talk a little bit faster because this story is a little bit longer, and this will definitely tell you a little bit about my personality and her personality. So I'm a physician. I went to medical school at the University of Miami in Florida. We're from Florida. We got engaged while I was in medical school. I proposed on Christmas Eve so I could remember the date of my proposal. And then we got married the following, the following June, six months later. So my wife is highly organized. She was all over reserving the church and lining up the pastor and the flowers and the wedding gown, make sure your tuxes are rented, blah, 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 all these kind of things you have to do. So we didn't need to do any of those things, but about whatever it was, March, April or so, the Miami Herald, that's a newspaper. I know you may not know what a newspaper is, but there was a big ad, a full-page ad. There's going to be this huge bridal show at this massive mall high-end mall, shopping mall in Miami, and a bridal show is when the different vendors, the bridal gown companies and the florists and the photographers, they all want you to sign up for their business to spend your money with them. But in this big, massive ad, grand prize drawing is an all-expenses-paid trip to the Cayman Islands for your honeymoon. So Krista sees this ad, hey, we don't need to see any of the vendors, but let's just go do the drawing. I'm like, well, okay, that sounds cool to me. We'll go do that. So the thing is like three hours long, but we only went with like 20 minutes to go before the end because the drawing's going to be at the very end. It turns out when you register, and it was all the brides registering, Krista Erickson is her maiden name. She lived in a house in Coral Gables, rented a room from a lady who lived in Coral Gables. I was in an apartment in downtown Miami, um, and it was 1992. And so the brides were the one registering. The grooms had nothing to do with it. So we get this card. And you have to go around to every single vendor and have the vendor put a punch in the card, a a punch hole, to show that you went and talked to all the vendors in order to be eligible for the drawing. And we're like, the drawing is in 10 minutes. We have to step on the gas here. So we start literally running to every single vendor, about the third or fourth vendor. We'll always remember Waterford Crystal. The Waterford Crystal guy looks at her card. You're never going to make it. Punch, 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 punch. This guy punched every single hole for us. Like, great, thank you very much. Let's get this in the basket now. It's one of these giant bins that you turn the bin and all these cards. 200 maybe. I mean, there was a big bridal show, lots of people there. They are literally rolling the bin back behind the curtain to take it up on the stage. And we go running up to the bin, literally the last card in the bin. 
So then we go take our seats in a great big room, and they're up on stage. And before they do the grand prize drawing for the honeymoon trip, they had about a dozen other smaller prizes first. Tickets to the theater or two champagne glasses for your um, toast, $35 gift card for flowers, that type of thing. And I said, oh. And, and as they're announcing the names of these girls, oh, Lisa Chateau has won this little prize. The girls who'd won that would just kind of raise their hand. Oh, that's me. I said, oh, Krista, Krista. Now, if you win one of these little prizes, it's just a small little thing. Don't get excited. Just raise your hand. See how they're doing. They're staying calm. Don't get too worked up about this. So then finally they go through all those things. They get to the grand prize thing. And he draws the card out. And everybody in the room is just like on edge because this is what they want. Well, this girl is getting married this year in about half the room. Oh, 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 1992. We're getting married this year. And she lives in Coral Gables. And we both kind of did like this. And it's Krista Erickson. And I went, Yahoo! I jumped up and I'm running around. And he ran up. All the, I was still sitting in my I go sprinting up on the stage and I'm jumping around. I'm trying to shake their hands. Well, Krista takes a whole like 60 or 90 seconds to finally get up there on stage. And she says, thank you. And I'm jumping around. So the moral of the story is she doesn't know how to celebrate the proper way. But we won an all-expenses-paid trip to the Cayman Islands for our honeymoon, and that was a blessing, a winning gift from the Lord. That's awesome. Do you have a rebuttal? I think you were trying to defend yourself. You can defend yourself if you need to for a second. You're following instructions. All right. She was, she was embarrassed by that story. Chateaus, can you all top that? Uh, maybe not. Make something up. <laughs> I'll just say, uh, I guess a funny story for me uh, and embarrassing on my part as well, too, would be directly related to being married to Lisa because it would have never happened if I wasn't married. Um, when we got married, Lisa had a dance studio, and one of the traditions was a they had father-daughter dances, but then they also started implementing this dad's dance where it was just the dads that would get up there. Yeah, it was supposed to be a funny thing, not serious, but I'm, I don't like the spotlight, and I don't think it's funny for me to get up there and embarrass myself, so, <laughs> so it was torturous for me, but I decided to do it just because it was my wife and her dance studio, and it was the appropriate thing to do, so uh, back then, I was a little more of an athlete, and I can do a backhand, backflip, back handspring, round off, backflip thing, and Anyway, she incorporated this into the dad's dance, thinking that it would be cool for me to do this backflip up on stage. <laughs> so at the Harker Heights Auditorium, full of prospective parents and a packed house, at the end of this father-daughter dance, <laughs> I do this back handspring flip right off the stage <laughs> onto the floor in front of all these people. So... Yeah, like it was part of the show. <laughs> it wasn't, but... Can you show us after we're was, done? Yeah, yeah, I can try to replicate. Okay. I'm sure I can. Yeah. So anyway, that, that was pretty embarrassing. So aside from maybe changing the embarrassing moments, because those were fun, you got to keep those, but what advice would you give, maybe looking back now um, to yourselves or to them dating now in high school, what kind of advice would you um, give high school and college students from your dating life, your experience there? Um, what would you give, and then maybe some that you've received that was helpful. So what would you give, or, you know, what advice did you get um, yourself that was helpful when you dated and, you know, got married? I'm going to let you go first. That's okay. Okay. Well, I guess this is the advice that I would give, or not, well, yeah, that no person can ever meet your deepest needs. So we all love to feel accepted, and when we first feel that acceptance from somebody of the opposite sex, that's really cool. I mean, you know, it's totally validating um, to, to have our needs met, to have someone think we're really great. That's awesome. But, but one thing I would say is that girls, you're very susceptible to, um, to having some guy give you that feeling, and then you latch on to the very first one, because I see that a lot. And, and not just girls, it's guys too, because we all just crave, we all crave acceptance. We all crave um, someone to think we're great and to feel like we're worthwhile. Um, but the thing is, that truly can only come from our relationship with God. And so, you know, 
when we go pursuing it from a person and that becomes the focus of our lives, we're off balance. And, you know, I would say, guys, you know, get real about your relationship with God. Um, point, if you're, if you're in a relationship with, another, with a girl, or I mean, point her toward Christ. Because you can't meet her needs, she really can't meet your needs. You know, that's, that's, that would be the most important thing uh, that I would say. And, and if, you're, if you're in a relationship and it's great, but the other person kind of doesn't really want to pursue Christ, then end the relationship. Because, again, you have no foundation for a future together unless Christ is in the middle of it. So I just want to add to that. So this is what it looked like for us. We had only been going out maybe a few months or so, and he took me out to his family's farm. It was beautiful by the creek. And then he just kind of laid it on the table, and he said, um, basically he said, if our relationship isn't founded on the Lord, then we cannot have a relationship. And he was dead serious. Well, to be honest with you, I, I don't even know if I was a Christian. I think I was. But if he had said, if our relationship isn't founded on Buddha, I would have been, oh, I totally agree with you. Because I was so smitten. I was going to agree with anything he said. And because of God's grace, he put Mark in my life, this little baby Christian. And I watched someone who was ahead of me spiritually, who loved God more than he loved me, wanted to pursue him and so the advice that I was given by older women who were pouring into my life later on is to make sure that your guy is hungering and thirsting after him so that you have to follow him, that he's ahead of you so that he can pour into you spiritually. And so that was what Mark was for me. So I'm so grateful that from the get-go, he established the baseline, that it was going to be a relationship founded on the Lord, and he kind of let me know that at the beginning. So. Okay, so the question of what advice do you wish you, you, wish you had been given, um, it, it, for me the answer would be about um, how physical and sexuality, and I know that can be uncomfortable in these kind of things, but that's why we're having this panel. She was a Christian when we met. I was a Christian when we met. We'd both been Christian for many years, so we knew early in our relationship, middle of our relationship, late in our relationship, even the night before we got married, we are not going to have sex until we were married. And we did not have any sexual intercourse until after we were married. So there's no problem saying that. But I wish someone had sat me down as the male and really, even though I kind of knew this, but I didn't think it through, it's not a simple either you have or you hadn't. There's actually a, a real spectrum in there. And you think about maybe your first date, don't, you don't even touch each other no hand-holding or hugging or anything versus once you're married having sexual intercourse. You know, where are you going to draw the line in between there? And in retrospect, I probably went a little too far. I'm not going to go into specifics because my son here, and I certainly don't want to embarrass him or get anything. <laughs> but, but that's something between you and the Lord, you and your parents talk about. And in retrospect, it wasn't fully res loving and respectful for her, loving and respectful for myself. You know, there it's a spectrum, and you have to make that decision before you're alone somewhere on a Saturday night. And I know you've heard that version of that answer many times in different speakers and lessons here, so please take that to heart. And real quick, what advice did you receive that was helpful? So I'm going I'm to back up. One of the things that you said stuck out, and I think it's worth repeating, you need to make that decision before what? Before, before you're in a situation where you're highly tempted and you're not able to stop yourself even though you really could but we trick ourselves into thinking oh i couldn't help myself right right that's what no, you yeah would. i think that's important on, on kind of emphasizing because people maybe or i think teens think um and we all do this i think we think we have the willpower and then we get in those situations and then it's not always there well that, that apply, i'm getting off a lot applies to a lot of things I'm not going to look at pornography even before you're sitting down at your computer, you're in your bedroom alone with your phone. I'm not going to cheat on my taxes even before you're filling out your tax paperwork, those types of things. Mm -hmm. What advice did you receive that was helpful? My mom, strong Christian lady, um, I'm, took us to church, Christian schools, and she constantly, even from being a small boy, don't get serious about anybody, don't date anybody who's not also like-minded, a Christian also, and that's such a blessing that my girlfriend, now my wife, is a Christian also. Marriage would be next to impossible. Well, I wouldn't have dated someone who wasn't because of that great advice from my mom. With that said, 
Jason and I were not Christians, either one of us. So I grew up going to church with my grandmother. Um, Jason um, recalls going to church a few times with his parents. But um, we were not Christians until after we were married for a few years. Actually, after our daughter was born, some of you may know Dannon, um, and after she was born, we both knew that we wanted her to grow up in the church. So we took her to church because, you know, we thought it was for her. And while we're there, we realized, no, this is for us. So also, so we, you know, our story before, we, you know, we dated a little bit in high school. Um, we each dated other people in high school, and I would say, for the most part, it was, like Dan said last week, a, a total waste of time. Um, but if you know the Lord, and you know, you know, look at the Maulers down here, turned out okay for them. Um, so every story is different. You know, it's, it, it might not be the right way, the way we did it, but I could see God's provision along the way, even though we weren't um, Christians at the time. So, um, yeah, what, so I would say that uh, one thing that someone has, some advice for that we got was um, that love is, is a choice. Um, it, it's not always going to be rosy, um, but it's not all about emotions, and you're going to have your ups and downs and go through things as a married couple and all eventually parents that uh, aren't going to be easy, and it's not all fun. So, um, so let's yeah. talk about those moments that weren't so fun. What are some times in your marriage that, you know, were difficult sessions in, 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 in that time? in that moment, or maybe it was, it lasts longer, but, or some difficult situations and maybe times that you guys dealt with in your relationship and marriage that, um, that you can share with us and how did you guys deal with it? We can start over with the Maulers and work our way back. Okay. So for me, when I was thinking back on this question, kind of the really low periods for me, um, it was really only me. <laughs> um, he was fine. Um, after each baby, that was just hard. I felt like I was in a fog. I was sleep deprived. Um, and I just put all this unnecessary guilt on, my, on me. My house wasn't clean. My bed wasn't made. I hadn't showered. What are we having for dinner? And so I just kind of walked in this fog of sadness. Um, and then another period of time that was hard for me was after my dad died. I grieved for years after it. Um, but what I want to tell you guys out there is about how Mark handled it. Not once did he ever have a checklist for me and tell me I wasn't meeting his checklist. He didn't have hoops that I needed to jump through. I didn't have to have dinner on the table at five. He picked up dinner. He didn't make me feel even smaller than I was already feeling myself. It was very self-imposed. And so really what it boils down to is he had immense grace for me as I walked through this period. And the way that I gained encouragement was there's just so many stories in the Bible, God's chosen people who walked through hard things, and God used those hard things in their life for his glory and their good, and those were the things that I held on to. Um, well, life is about hard things, you know. I think all of you already have your stories of hard things. This isn't just a marriage thing, but um, both Calvin and I uh, came from watching our parents' marriages be really, really destructive and painful and hard. And so that kind of sets the tone that when we were dating and, and planning to get married, we kind of came into it knowing this is going to be hard because we saw it be kind of yucky in ours. So it, it, it doesn't sound very romantic, and there is a lot of romance to it too, but that's not this particular question. But part of it is a little bit of a mindset. It's kind of consistent. All three of us are talking about There's just this decision that you make that we're going we're gonna to do this, whether it's hard or not, and you have to decide that before the hard happens. 
I mean, you just have to because hard does happen. So you can't be surprised by it when you disagree, when you don't feel like being together, when you're mad at each other. That's not a surprise. We knew it was coming, but we decided way before this that when it came, we're going to push through it. We're going to seek the Lord. And um, a phrase that we were taught during a marriage class early in our marriage was when the issue isn't the issue. And that's been a big thing that's helped us through the hard times, that you're mad at each other about this or you're disagreeing about this, and that's the issue. But right now, the issue is we're not unified. You're important to me, and I'm not acting like you're important to me. I'm acting like my being right is important. And, and this doesn't really apply to just marriage. I mean, all of you have siblings. You have friendships. You have relationships when you need to do this, that the person is more important than the issue. The person that you are in relationship with is more important than you being right. And so it's a decision I have to make that I'd really rather care about him than care about being right. And so, um, you know, I can, we can all have our list of hard stories, but I guess I just kind of wanted to bring out, I feel like consistently God has brought us back to that. And the verse that comes to my mind that you, you probably know from Ephesians 6 two is, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. That Satan would love for us to disagree. He would love for us to have not have unity in our relationships. That is his goal. And so when that starts happening to you in your sibling relationships, your relationships with your parents, when you get into a relationship that's potentially, you know, for marriage and stuff, you need to remember that the issue is I am going to follow Jesus. I am not going to let Satan win and destroy this relationship over this issue. Remember that the issue, when the issue is not the issue, remember what the issue is, and it's, a, it's usually a spiritual thing that's going on that's deeper than what the actual issue is. How about you guys? Uh, for us, I'd say um, early on when we got married, like Lisa said earlier, we weren't necessarily believers. Um, Lisa had a dance studio, so that entailed a lot of responsibility. Uh, I was a project manager, superintendent for an electrical contractor, so I had a pretty large responsibility at, jo at my job as well. So when our kids were younger, that tended to create a lot of conflict about her having responsibilities and me having responsibilities that led to a lot of conflict of, well, somebody's got to do this for the kids, somebody's got to do dinner, we got to get this ready. Um, and really, I think what changed that for us as we evaluated that situation, uh, that was around the same time that we found Christ and really decided to make that a priority in our life. So moving from selfish kind of what's important to me uh, to focusing on God and where God would have our family go, uh, it ultimately, with a lot of other uh, things that were going on in our life at that time, led Lisa to sell the studio and you know so we made a decision there and um, it really just changed the focus of our family uh, rather than focusing on what was important to us individually it was uh, more service more being involved with programs at church and really seeking out God's will for our life so uh, for us that was a time where God actually stepped into our lives and created a problem that, you know, we couldn't see ourselves. Uh, but I would say whether, you know, you're a believer going into marriage or not, you know, we're still, you know, Satan still tries to use the same things to tempt all of us. And as Christians, we're not immune to those temptations. Uh, but for us, the, you know, there was a... Um, definitely a moment in our lives where we saw God step in and correct that problem for us. So kind of going along with this, um, when, when was it that you guys, um, and maybe each of you guys can kind of answer this if you'd like, um, first realized that your spouse wasn't perfect? When did you first realize that, yeah, this is not the perfect, you know, um, you know, Prince Charming or, you know, like Princess in the Castle that I married? 
and then how did you respond, whether it was correctly or incorrectly? So let's hear it. What you got, Mark? Okay. Um, well, yeah, I bet you are interested to hear this. Um, first of all, she's pretty good. She's pretty good. But, you know, to me, I'm probably going to go back to this idea that that we don't need someone. Well, we shouldn't look to any person to meet our deepest needs. I mean, because sin is, is really just an attempt on all of our parts to get something that we think we need something or we need someone uh, to act a certain way or we need we need something else other than God to meet our basic needs. And so we all do that every day. Julie does it. I do it. And we have to deal with each other's sin kind of on a daily basis. You know, when I get mad at her or she gets mad at me, um, we're simply not validating each other's need to feel acceptable. You know, we're, you know, we get mad at each other like she doesn't approve of something I've done or whatever. That, that really hurts. And, I, and, and those are the kind of things that can get into a relationship and fester a relationship. But ultimately, she can't meet my needs. I can't meet hers. Um, you know, we have to hold on to a deep, it's really a deep knowledge, a deep personal knowledge that we're loved and that, that we're finding our identity in Christ. Because if you try to find your identity in, in another person, it's just going to be a circle of pain. It's going to be something that eventually, you know, there's a lot of divorces out there. There's a lot of, I mean, most, what is it, I guess half the relationships don't work. Some, in some way, we try to look to a person to meet our needs other than what Christ has already provided for us. And Second Peter says that we have every, Second Peter 1, 9, I believe, says we have everything that we need through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So I would just encourage y'all to, to, uh, to pursue that. I just want to say, if I weren't already married to Krista, I'd want to be married to Mark Mahler. He's a great guy. <laughs> I mean, this stuff I'm hearing this morning, I'm like, wow, Mark is so nice. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I should okay. have. I should have answered the question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You can still give oh, us your answer. You, we can go back to you later, Julie. <laughs> um, Chris and I talked about these questions last night, and, and very early in our marriage, even all of a sudden now we're married, we're roommates, we had a small apartment together in Miami. It, it, just human nature. We both are just very selfish people, and we'd been used to wanting to do things our own individual way. Now all of a sudden, here I've got this other person who's supposed to be the most important person in my life, and I'm trying to tell her what to do. She wants to do things her way. I want to do things my way. I, I think we handled it very well. We we very much talked about and had learned to accept and to compromise. A, a point Chris has already touched upon, and she really led me in understanding this. Caring more about, do you care more about being right or do you care more about the person? And that is something she excels in, and I had to struggle to kind of catch up to that. But it was a blessing that we had, at the time, we had no children, we had no money. I was a medical student, she was a teacher. So they were little things in our life that God allowed us to work this out and sort this out before the big things. If we're blessed with a bigger salary, blessed with children, before bigger decisions came along, we'd kind of already fought through some of those struggles. I would say the first few years of our marriage was, I I think it was pretty easy, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I mean, there we did have our hard parts, but I think a lot of it had to do with he worked all day until four, and then I went to work at four, and I was home at nine. So, you know, we, we didn't see a lot of each other, and so I think that when Jason was talking a while ago that when, once we had kids, we realized that's just, that's just not going to work. It worked for a little bit, but, um, I have to say, I guess, uh, I really don't ever, I don't think we've ever seen each other as being perfect. Um, but I will say that Jason is very, um, selfless and that, um, I'm usually the one that brings on the conflict <laughs> and I would 
concur with, you know, you have to be selfless. You have to, I mean, I once heard you don't give 50%. Each one of you gives 100% because there's going to be days that one of you are just not ready to face the day and it, you're not ready to give anything. So that other person has to be there to, to pick up the slack. But um, I don't know. I don't, I, I can't think of a certain day that you, I found out, oh, you're not perfect. I don't think, I don't think we, we ever looked at each other as perfect in the first place. <laughs> Although when we were discussing the question, we were coming up with specific instances like, <laughs> like after we were married for three months and Lisa has the, right, <laughs> has a Christmas parade and a lot of work involved in all that stuff. And I decide that, well, I'm, I don't really need to be a part of the Christmas parade. So I stay home while <laughs> they're doing a Christmas parade and getting ready. And he I think early on she said, oh, he's not quite perfect. <laughs> He did. I did. I did actually call him and tell him to go get some dry ice from H-E-B because, you know, you got to have dry ice for Christmas parade. And he came through. So, (laughs) well, each of you guys have 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 some kiddos. So how did marriage and your relationship change when you added, you know, a kid and a baby into the mix? This is a hard one Um, because. You're, it's just every stage is different, and I think when they're little, I mean, I'm the workhorse, and he's Santa. <laughs> he's the fun guy. I'm the heavy. Um, and then when the kids reach junior high, high school, it's a little more mental, you know. And um, I think the, the beautiful thing for me is um, I've been encouraged um, by some older women just to, um, since in the biblical picture of marriage, the husband is the head of the family. And so when we're faced with something difficult, I, I pray that the Lord will lead Mark and then I will follow what Mark says. This is the direction we're going to go. And so that has been kind of my thing, right? you know, in the high school years is I let Mark lead because biblically he is supposed to lead. And um, so when they were little, I was really the one doing all the work, but now it's more of a dual. I think having kids makes you realize just how selfish you are, you know, because I want to do some stuff and you guys are really very demanding. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, again, it just reflects on our need for Christ, our need, our need to look to him to cause us to not be unselfish. And, you know, we're all dealing with hard stuff. And, I mean, it's very difficult to be your parents. I'll just say that. I mean, but it's great. It's great. And we love, I mean, I'll just say, I guess, collectively is for us up here, we, we love you. We, you know, but it's hard. It's hard for us at times. So we have to kind of live with each other in an understanding way. Um, you guys need to understand that we're trying, and we need to look to Christ to give us wisdom as to how to raise y'all. Yeah, that was the first thing that I would say about being selfish. It's very difficult to be in a family and um, be selfish. You see it all the time. It does happen, but... Um, being in a family, and especially being the parent of the family, is just a huge reminder of how much I desperately need the Lord. That um, it's a big responsibility to raise a little tiny thing to adulthood, and and to do it with another person who has different opinions and different things. And um, so, this is another one of those reasons why it's just so critical that you find a like-minded believer when you make this decision. Because um, we both love the Lord, but we are two totally different people with a lot of different opinions about how things need to get done. And if we didn't have that central thing in common, that our goal is to serve the Lord with our family and to teach our children about what we know of the Lord and our experiences in the Lord, that's, that's the one common bond that kept us going, that this is the kind of family we want to be and the kind of mission we want to impart to the next generation, um, then it's easier to overcome the other issues of, do we spank? Do we not spank? Do we ground? Do we not ground? Do we do timeout? Sure, I don't, you know, they're all the things that were so different, and, but didn't, 
didn't matter because the central mission was the same. And this kind of goes back to another scripture verse in Exodus when um, the Ten Commandments are given. There is a verse that um, talks about the sins of the fathers go to the generation and the next generation. But those who love the Lord, and I'm not saying this exactly right, I forgot to write this one down. Well, their generations will be blessed for multiple generations after that. And I kind of shared with you that we both came from really kind of yucky family situations where we saw our parents make lots and lots of kind of poor choices in the way they did things. And we are kind of feeling the effects of those sins of our parents and our children see the effects. So we've kind of had that. That's the third and the fourth generations of some of the sins that our families did. But when Cal and I got together, we did this. We are going to be the start of those generations of the ones that follow the Lord. So we can't do anything about some of the sins trickling down, but we want to make a decision as parents that from starting with this point, this couple, this union here, there's going to see something that they, they follow the Lord. We didn't do it right. We messed up a lot, and we're still messing up a lot. But it still goes back to that that's our decision, our conscious decision, that we are going to do this the way God said the best that we can and let him work out the messy parts. Okay. Uh, I would say for us, uh, again, back to our story and just where we were in life whenever uh, we started parenting was uh, God really used parenthood to bring us to self. You know, like Lisa said, we really started attending church regularly because we felt like that's something that would have been good for our kids and never really applied that to ourselves. I'm just going to do a little side note in case some of you out there will one day be Sunday school teachers or are serving right now in this that position, the adults out there. Um, when, Like I said, whenever Dana was a baby, we became Christians. We went to a Baptist church, so we walked the aisle and um, got baptized. And um, about four years later, Dana was four. We, we went to church off and on, but weren't plugged in and serving or in a Sunday school, adult Sunday school class or anything. Dana had been, of course, going to her Sunday school class. Um, But we hadn't been in a while. And this lady would call us every Saturday night for I don't know how many weeks. And it was her Sunday school teacher and would say, are y'all going to bring Dana into church tomorrow? Are y'all going to be bring Dan into church tomorrow? Every Saturday night. And I finally, I looked at Jason and I was like, we just, we, I, I just want to go to church so this lady will stop calling me. Let's, <laughs> let's just go and make an appearance and go. So, and we were kind of, like I said, we were kind of out. We hadn't been to church in a while. And, um, I went, took her to Sunday school. She started crying. The, the Sunday school teacher started crying because she had gone, and I was like, that's strange. But I understand now why, you know, it was, I mean, she she worked in our lives, and, you know, we, we didn't even realize it. And so from that Sunday on, I mean, we we got plugged in. We started going to an adult Sunday school, and so um, I, I, I think they attend our church maybe, Peggy Hudspeth was her Sunday school teacher, and I think maybe they they had some kids that came here. So anyway, sorry, I had to add that. So be persistent if you're in that role. Uh, But what it did, what the parenting role did for us is it took, it forced us to be unsacrificial and to think of others. You know, as Christians, you know, we talk about Christ's sacrificial love and what that looks like and what that means. But really, when you're thrust into a parenting role, you know, like Julie said, when you've got an infant or a baby, you know, that is all of your responsibility. And so as parents, uh, that really forced us into thinking of others and really showed us the application of sacrificial love. And it's no longer about myself personally or about Lisa personally or us as a couple, uh, but it was really about uh, sacrificing for the kids 
Well, um, this last question, or second to last question that I have is kind of a repetitive, so maybe you guys might have something different on this one if you didn't answer it the, the, this way last time, but what is one piece of advice that someone has given you about marriage that has changed your marriage? Okay, I'm going to sound repetitive as well because I only have one answer, and somebody's calling me. Hang on just a second. It's my brother. Okay. <laughs> Put so, him on speaker, ask him the question. Yeah, yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> okay. Um, actually, he kind of got me started on my road to, per, I guess, God getting me. You know, relationships are so key. I mean, people affect us, and we affect each other. I guess this is a little side note, but you don't know how you're affecting each other. But point, and what I was going to kind of get to about answering the question is point people toward Christ. Point people toward Christ because there's no, there are no answers in the arms of another person. I mean, Julie can't meet my needs. I can't meet her needs, the real needs, the deep needs. Um, it may feel, you know, you feel that acceptance. You feel that love from another person, and that's great. But, and, and that's more tangible, so it seems more real than the God thing. But the God thing is more real than, the, than, than what we see. You know, it's, uh, and was it in scripture, the unseen uh, is eternal. Uh, we need to be, as Christians, folks that, that read the scriptures, folks that actually dig in. And, you know, if it doesn't, if you're not feeling it, um, ask God to make you feel it. Ask God to make it real to you. He'll do that kind of stuff for you. Um, so I would just say, you know, in terms of the best advice, point each other toward Christ. Point your friends toward Christ. Point toward Him. There is no answers for our lives anywhere else. First John one nine, or I'm sorry, First John four nineteen, probably the most important scripture is that we, for me, I guess, we love because He first loved us. It all starts with Him. We get none of the credit, but we get to enjoy all that He's done for us. So, um, point people toward Christ. The hey, best piece of advice I got was actually from my bride very early in our marriage. Um, well, let me take a step back. When I went to college and when I was in medical school before we got married, my bedding, my linens, I was a very simplistic guy. I had one fitted sheet, one very simple bedspread. I had one pillow, which meant one pillowcase, and I had one towel for my shower. I'd wash those, all those things every other week, whether they needed it or not, and that was pretty much it. My mom was constantly, don't you need, don't you need another? No, no, no. So we get married, of course. Then we have, like, super nice sheets and a super nice bedspread and the bedspread you actually use and then the nice decorative bedspread on top and not just your pillows, but you have to have all these nice fluffy decorative pillows with little heart pillows and little circle pillows and all these little things. And so it, biting her I'm going somewhere with this. So Krista makes the bed every single day in starting from day one of our marriage. She probably did that even as a child. And she's putting all these decorative pillows up there just right. And I didn't like that the way she was doing it. And I actually said to her, well, now, when you put the pillows up there, you need to put them in this way instead of the way she had done it. And her answer to me, no anger, no bitterness, just very matter of fact. She looks at me, well, Calvin, when you make the bed, you just put those pillows any way you want. And that kind of set off a light bulb, and we actually talked about that. And don't let the little things become problems, or there, there's no reason for something silly to become the source of a fight or anger or something to carry along. Don't sweat the small stuff. Let it go. So it sounds silly, but couples fight over ridiculous things. So when she loads the dishwasher versus when I load the dishwasher, I mean, even now, we do it differently. Let it go. I I actually do laundry sometimes. When she does laundry, I do, it's different. Let it go. It doesn't really matter. 99% of life, it really doesn't matter. So don't let that be a source of a fight or problem in your marriage or your relationship with your siblings and friends at school and parents. I think the bottom line is we just decided we need to let each other be different. There's things about him that I would like him to be different, and there's probably things about me he wishes I did differently, but let him be who God made him to be. Can I just say something here? Calvin sounds like a fabulous husband. Don't you guys think so, huh? Don't y'all think? I mean, let's hear it for Calvin. And Krista, you're a very fortunate lady. <laughs> Mark, if you go to our podcast, um, we have a podcast on um, sexuality on TBC Overflow. 
And go look it up if you need to listen to it. Go subscribe. Yeah, I, was, I, was gonna say, I think it's just a bromance, hopefully. Um, I don't think anybody's ever told me this, but I've kind of figured it out because know, my, my mom always talked to my sister and I about things that my dad fell short at. And so I realized that that wasn't healthy because it would make me feel certain, you know, feelings towards my dad that were negative. So I've, I've never talked um, negatively about Jason to any of my friends or um, my mom or any family members. I've always kind of talked with him about it. Um, so that's... I, and I think that's a big deal because I have some friends that will just tell me all the bad things that their husbands do. And um, I just feel like that it's, you know, there's all there's always two sides of the story. So, um, yeah, I would think, you know, you can find a maybe one really good friend to, to confide in, but uh, don't bash your husband. So, <laughs> Anybody else have anything else to add before we wrap up? Any of you guys have one last piece of advice or little tidbit you want to give these students? Uh, I'd just like to kind of tag on to where earlier you are talking about setting boundaries and, you know, having discussions of uh, if you're in a relationship and as Christians knowing that uh, uh, sex before marriage is not acceptable and, you know, that's kind of laid down on the table, but whenever Calvin's talking about setting specific boundaries and specific areas, you know, those are, you know, on a panel or, you know, even inside, you know, conversations that you guys have. Uh, you know, if you're in a relationship and you feel like you're in a mature relationship that's going somewhere, you know, I just ask you to ask yourself how mature or how, um, or where do you think you are in that relationship if you really can't have that discussion? Because being married and being a team and being focused on where God wants us to go as a family, um, you know, it's tough. You got to have tough decision or tough discussions and you're put in difficult situations. So, you know, I would just challenge you as high schoolers or when you get into college, uh, to view that as an opportunity to have a tough discussion that might not be comfortable. But the bottom line is if you can't have that discussion with your boyfriend or girlfriend about where, you know, solid boundaries are because it's a little uncomfortable, you know, that should help you realize that you're really not in as mature of a relationship as you thought you were if you can't really have those tough, you know, awkward kind of conversations. So... I just use that to challenge you to have those difficult conversations. Great. Anyone else? All right. Well, give these guys a round of applause. Thank you all so much for talking with us. Thank you, guys. All right. Just a final reminder. We have impact meeting here right after we get out of service. Five bucks. We need a parent to come sign some forms for you guys. So we'll see you guys next Sunday or in a little while for some impact.